Welcome to your number one source of information on women's pelvic health. On this podcast, you will hear from medical experts, pelvic health professionals, holistic healers, and patients themselves in order to learn and understand everything there is to know about regaining and maintaining your pelvic health and becoming your own best advocate for your pelvic floor, the most vital part of our bodies as women. All of the conversations are intimate, raw, and unedited in order to deliver the most authentic information possible. I am so excited to finally be partnering with my new favorite company, Good Clean Love. Good Clean Love is a feminine hygiene product company made with love by women for women. What is so genius about this company is that not only are their products organic and non-toxic, which we know is so important, but each and every product is scientifically advanced formulated by Johns Hopkins scientists to biomatch the vaginal pH. The reason this is so important is because the vaginal pH needs to remain low in order for our vaginas to remain healthy. There are so many factors that can disrupt our vaginal pH that can raise the pH level, making us more susceptible to infections, to vaginal dryness, to pelvic pain. Some of these factors include semen. So when we have sex, semen raises our pH. Um, When we are stressed, our pH gets thrown out of balance. When we have our period, our pH gets thrown out of balance. When our hormones are disrupted, our pH gets thrown out of balance. When our pH gets thrown out of balance, we are more susceptible to yeast infections, bacterial vaginosis, to UTIs. This was a huge part of my problem. My My gut was was totally out of whack and my vaginal pH was totally out of whack. So I was getting so many vaginal infections, which was making my pelvic pain so much worse. Since I have found these products, I have not had one infection. And this is, I'm being so honest, these products have changed my life. Like I don't have fear anymore that I'm going to have sex and get an infection, that I'm going to work out and get an infection, that I'm going to do all of these normal day-to-day activities and get an infection. I have three Good Clean Love products that I use religiously. These three products are One, the Restore Moisturizing Vaginal Gel. This is a pH balance moisturizing gel that keeps your pH low, eliminates odor, relieves dryness and discomfort, and restores and promotes a healthy vaginal flora by mimicking the body's natural pH levels, salt balance, and lactic acid produced by healthy lactobacilli. I use this product religiously after I have sex and also just multiple times a week in order to make sure that my vaginal flora is healthy. The second product I use religiously are the Rebalance pH Balanced Feminine Wipes. So I put these in all of my bags and I use them after I work out. I use them after I've had a long day walking around the city and I just am sweaty and want to be careful, make sure that my vaginal flora is healthy. These wipes 
are obviously pH balanced. They are made with premium aloe and soothing botanical extracts. They are also biodegradable and they once again help promote a healthy vaginal ecosystem. Lastly, I use the BioNude Ultra Sensitive Personal Lubricant. This is an unflavored, unscented, and pH-balanced lubricant that, of course, mimics the natural feminine moisture to enhance pleasure and keep the vaginal pH low throughout sex. So this is so important because sex can disrupt the vaginal ecosystem. And for those of us who have sensitive vaginal ecosystems, this product can literally change our lives. It changed mine. So Good Clean Love offers so many products. They offer multiple different types of lubricants, oils, um, body wash. Oh my God, I forgot the body wash that I use every single day. How could I have forgot about that? It is Balanced Moisturizing Personal Wash. So that's the fourth product I use so religiously. And once again, that is gynecologist tested and recommended product that helps clean to refresh and eliminate odor while maintaining optimal vaginal pH levels. It is free of artificial fragrances, soaps, parabens, and gently cleanses, moisturizes, and balances the vagina. I want to thank Good Clean Love for creating this incredibly genius product line and for making me feel so good and so healthy that I can now share this information with all of you so that you can feel so good and so healthy. What I have to offer all the listeners is 10% off every single order, not just the first order, but every order you place on Good Clean Love's website, you will receive 10% off if you enter the code HANA10 at checkout. That's HANA10, H-A-N-N-A-H, one zero at checkout and the website is good g-o-o-d clean c-l-e-a-n love l-o-v-e dot com so please check out the website try out some products let me know what you think and I hope that they make you feel as good as they make me feel without further ado let's get into this week's episode I want to apologize for the sound quality on this week's episode because I was recording outside, as you may know, in San Diego at the ICA Walk for a Cure, and the wind in the background caused a little bit of a sound problem, so I apologize in advance for that, and I wanted to release this episode anyways because the content is great. Um, I hope that you still find it useful, even though the noise is not perfect. So I am here now with Dr. Michael Shea, a pediatric urologist based in Washington, D.C., who specializes in bladder diseases affecting children and young adults. He has been a recognized doctor on the Health Grades Honor Roll and Best Doctors in America and has been featured several times in the New York Times for his work in robotic surgery and bladder inflammation. So thank you first for being here. I'm excited to meet you and to have you on the podcast to talk about how bladder conditions affect children, which is not something that I hear talked about very often and have never 
had a doctor on the podcast talk about. So I'm excited for you to share what you do with everyone. Yeah, no, thank you for uh, having me. First, you want to talk a little bit about your work as an ICA board member? Sure. Well, maybe I'll give some background as to yeah. how I came to be involved with ICA. So uh, I'm a practicing pediatric urologist at Children's National Medical Center, you know, DC Children's mm -hmm. Hospital. And in the course of seeing patients, I had one patient in particular that really stuck out to me, a uh, young adult uh, who had a lot of bladder symptoms, urinary frequency, urgency, but no UTIs that I could tell. Um, and ultimately she underwent a pretty extensive testing. I did cystoscopy to look inside her bladder and she had a Hunter's lesion, which is a classic uh, indicator of one form of interstitial cystitis um, and so when the biopsy came back and confirmed the diagnosis frankly I was shocked because I had never seen um, a new diagnosis and so on that young and that experience really highlighted to me that interstitial cystitis for some patients probably starts very early mm -hmm. and right around this time the ICA the interstitial cystitis association had put out a call for new board members, uh, volunteer board members, and given my recent patient experience as well as some uh, research, so I run a lab focused on bladder inflammation um, because I'd been doing some research on new analgesics for bladder pain, which is very relevant for IC, I decided to apply for the board and um, fortunately the ICA selected me to, to participate. Amazing, and when? how long ago was this? Uh, that was about a year and a half ago, two years at this point. Mm -hmm. So do you want to talk a little bit about how common these bladder conditions are in children? And I mean, I guess this one case is what really stood out to you in particular, but do you see this often now? I wouldn't say I see it often. I do see a lot of IC patients in their 20s mm -hmm. at GW where I see adult patients. Um, I think one of the challenges is that although there are non-overlapping bladder conditions that children can get uh, that mimic IC, I'm certain that there are some patients out there that are getting misdiagnosed or mm -hmm. getting a delayed diagnosis because the pediatric urologist or general urologist, uh, whoever's taking care of the patient, is thinking of a different diagnosis at first. When children have bladder urgency, frequency, pain, what do you think that some of the causes are? Do you think it's similar as adult bladder pain and interstitial cystitis, or it's, is it different? So the overall most common cause of urinary symptoms, at least in young children, is uh, something, an umbrella term called bladder and bowel dysfunction, mm -hmm. BBD. And it used to be uh, called dysfunctional voiding which is also an umbrella term, at least originally, that refers to um, a constellation of possible symptoms such as uh, constipation, infrequent voiding, urinary incontinence, and whatnot. And what's interesting about BBD is that, at least in children who have any element of constipation, when you treat the constipation, their urinary symptoms often get better. So that's pretty distinctly different than IC. But then you have other children uh, who have 
sort of idiopathic, in other words, unexplained urinary urgency and frequency. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, most of the time it's self-limited. Occasionally we'll give them medications like uh, Ditropan, which is essentially a bladder relaxant. Um, but some of these children, I suspect, go on to become adults with uh, persistent bladder issues such as I see. Right. Do you think that a lot of adults who have IC, it starts young, it starts when they're children or teenagers? I think that most IC patients can pinpoint uh, an event or events, a cluster of events mm -hmm. in adulthood. Um, oftentimes UTIs, for instance, or sometimes just out of the blue that seem to be the uh, preceding trigger, yeah. trigger for their IC. But then you have other patients who do talk about a really long history since childhood of urinary issues with or without UTIs. And there are a few studies out there that suggest that some children with urinary uh, issues do go on to potentially become adults with IC or related uh, bladder pain syndromes. And going back to children that you see who have IC and bladder pain syndrome, what are usually the most effective treatments that you suggest? Well, uh, the one patient that I mentioned earlier right. um, tried all sorts of oral medications, including Elmeron, mm -hmm. aloe vera pills, and whatnot. And ultimately, what worked for her was Botox injection of the bladder, mm -hmm. um, which is um, you know, more invasive than medications, but for some patients, that's what works for them. And do you send children to pelvic floor physical therapy? I do sometimes, yeah. Um, surprisingly, I think it tends to be more often uh, boys, at least in the pediatric population, um, boys with various uh, pelvic floor issues mm -hmm. that aren't IC necessarily. Interesting. And then when you work at GW Hospital with adults, do you send them to pelvic floor mm -hmm. PT? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, pelvic floor PT, I think at a minimum, an initial evaluation is is potentially very helpful mm -hmm. uh, for a lot of these patients um, and it has basically zero harm so right. there's, there's no reason not to get checked out by a pelvic floor PT. And if you had to talk a little bit more about the connection between pediatric bladder conditions and then adult bladder conditions, you know, do you, well, I guess you said there's usually like one event or multiple events that adults notice or can pinpoint that triggered the onset of their symptoms. But I know a lot of different bladder conditions. I've talked to people who, you know, who work closely with like mind body medicine and the effect that stress has. Like, do you think that this is sometimes, is it stress from childhood, like childhood trauma or stress from childhood? Or could it just be? As you said, the bowels aren't working properly and mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. more functional issues. Um, well, well, that's a tough question. Yeah, yeah. no, no, I, I think um, all of the above yeah. can be true. So, for example, with bladder and bowel dysfunction, which is not IC, right. although it's ultimately behavioral, um, most of those cases, you know, fortunately those children don't have major psychological trauma that, right. we're, that we're aware of. But some of them, you know, if on careful questioning you hear that, 
you know, their parents are having a bad divorce, mm -hmm. um, there was a death in the family. You know, stressors very clearly can have an impact, not just on pediatric mm. uh, pelvic floor disorders like BBD, but for sure IC as well. And um, I do know some IC patients who have a clear history, for example, unfortunately, of like childhood sexual abuse or trauma um, or, you know, stress. Right. I mean, stress absolutely affects any kind of pain, mm -hmm. even day-to-day -day pains. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. And I recently had um, this woman come on the podcast. She is a psychotherapist. Her name's Nicole Sachs. And she explained how when anyone has some sort of like any you know we all have stress but different people it presents in different places in their body so mm -hmm. you know some of us it presents in our bladder and mm -hmm. can cause these mm -hmm. these conditions as someone else might present in their back or their foot mm -hmm. or as sure. chronic migraines yeah. right absolutely i mean there are so many nerves between the brain spinal cord and bladder mm -hmm. and other pelvic organs it does not at all surprise me that uh, when you're stressed, which affects your brain, of course, it affects uh, pelvic organs frequently. Right. And a question that I just thought of um, that I have for you is, I'm curious what the dynamic is like when you have, when you're treating children and, and their parents are mm -hmm. coming in as opposed to when you're treating adults mm -hmm. and they can kind of advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. But then you have like when you know you're a child and you really can and you have mm -hmm. your parent advocating mm -hmm. for you mm -hmm. i could imagine that being a challenge yeah that, that definitely adds another dimension to right. the care um you know when parents have um sort of constructive mm -hmm. responses to suggested approaches to improve their child's pelvic health that's great of course and 99 plus percent of the time that's what occurs mm -hmm. but other times it's pretty uh, pretty clear unfortunately that um, there can be some parental factors that are feeding into a child's uh, problems um, you know again like a bad divorce or whatnot right um, uh, parental pressure academically uh, all kinds of things mm -hmm. can cause um, contributing factors and if you had to give one piece of advice for children who have IC, maybe for parents with children who have IC, um, what would it be? Well, I think it's important for patients and their families to know they're not alone, mm -hmm. that occasionally IC does manifest um, in childhood and not late in adulthood, like most patients, um, and that there's support out there right you know, providers but also other patients of course and families thank you and it's so important that these conversations are had because no i mean not i don't want to say no one because there are doctors like you who are talking about it but it's i find it's very rare and it's not discussed that much and there's not a lot of awareness and advocacy on pediatric bladder conditions so thank you for the work that you do and for helping to raise awareness um, and for everyone listening if they want to get in contact with you how can they do so um, so I'm um, very open to being directly emailed for instance by patients mm -hmm. um, so my email address is m uh, h as in 
uh, hotel, S is in Sierra, I is in India, E is in Echo, H is in hotel, so basically my last name, at uh, Children's National, so that's just one string, dot mm -hmm. O-R-G. Amazing. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you.